Hello and welcome to another Perusia podcast. I'm Shabal Reis, your host. Excited for our guest today, a very good friend who's been uh, to Australia a few times now and is author of multiple books, the founder of the Chastity Project is none other than Jason Evert, and he joins me live across the States. Hello, Jason. How are you doing? Good to see you again, Sherbell. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, how have things been? It's been a while. We haven't seen you uh, in Australia for a while, and um, and I know you've, you've still been busy through the pandemic. You've been doing lots of online uh, events, and uh, but things opening up over there. Are you back into the schools these days? Yeah, the lockdown really slowed down our ability to travel internationally in person, but really opened up a window through a lot of video and, um, you know, Zoom evangelization where we've actually done more talks internationally than ever before. So, you know, one door closes, a different one opens. And uh, but thanks be to God, things are coming back to normal now. Yeah, praise God. Isn't it interesting? Uh, through one sort of uh, difficult time or, or, or a bit of suffering uh, of some sort, our Lord comes through in some other way. So, Somehow he finds a way that we can still reach people. So praise God mm-hmm. for that. Um, I've, uh, I mean, we, there's no stranger. We've been, we've been publishing in, uh, your resources. I've got a pile here for everyone to see. I mean, there's so many. Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, or, I mean, one of your favorites. I'll go back to one of the originals, one of the, one of the earlier ones. If you really love me, I know it's a real popular yeah. one. Lots mm-hmm. of questions on dating and chastity, um, and that was really popular. And then your, your booklets on purity, uh, pure womanhood, pure love. There's pure manhood as a bunch of those. I remember those were the classics in the day that really got out there. But you've covered so many more um, in recent times. Uh, the Forged book, I remember launching that with you only a few years ago. And uh, and many, many others. Uh, your, well, your wife, Kristalina, has, has done some things as well. Um, uh, made, made New as well. That's one I want to highlight. We haven't done and there's many others. We'll probably get a chance to go through them as we go. But... Um, you're known for giving talks on chastity. Can we, I know we, we do this, it's good reminder, good refresh. Let's, um, I want to cover the topic of, of contraception today, but just in general, chastity again, um, what the meaning of chastity means, and then we can sort of unpack from there. Yeah. A lot of times people get the words chastity, celibacy, abstinence kind of mixed up just to define our terms. Uh, celibacy actually means the state of not being married. That's what the word means abstinence is typically just the absence of something. And so in this realm would just be the absence of sexual activity. Um, So that's not a very descriptive word in the sense that if you were to tell me that, you know, Joe is abstinent, like it, it really wouldn't tell me a lot about him. I mean, maybe he's a a virtuous guy and he's saving sex for marriage. You know, maybe he can't find a date. Um, Maybe he died a hundred years ago. Like it really doesn't tell us anything. It just tells us what he's not doing, being sexually active. Now, the word chastity, on the other hand, is a lot more positive in the sense that it's uh, it's a virtue, kind of like courage or honesty, that applies to our sexuality. And the function of chastity is to free us from the selfish attitude we all have of using another person as an object. And so it not only does it free us to love, because if I can't say no to my sexual impulses, then saying yes to them doesn't mean anything, but it also frees you to know if you're authentically being loved. Because if a person won't be with you, if you're not giving them sexual things, then more often than not, it shows that it's not really you that they desire. It's just the pleasure they desire, and they want to use you as the means to that end. And so it brings a lot of 
clarity in terms of a person's intentions in that relationship. And it's not just what you're not doing uh, physically. It's your imagination. It's the uh, disposition of your heart, your intentions, the way you dress, the way you dance. It's that whole virtue of purity of heart that frees you to see God, not only in heaven, but in this life, in yourself and in others. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you. That's uh, very, very um, thorough there. And uh, what I love, you said a few things there. Um, you know, it's not only our intentions. I mean, that's a big part of it, but it's not what we get out of it, isn't it? It's what, what you know, in relationships, typically that is, unfortunately, where we are these days. It's all about pleasure, pleasure seeking. What can I get out of something? And we've we've sort of done this more common uh, in, in what we do with music and, and fashion and our social media posts and everything is screaming, look at me, my body, look at everything um, I'm about, how I look and and. And then it, it really drives us to that uh, that sexual pleasure, and it's the pleasure we're seeking. Um, mm-hmm. Please, let, can we unpack that a bit further? And 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 how sort of leading into then contraception, um, why the church sort of has a teaching, why we don't uh, promote contraception? It's not something that the church uh, promotes or artificial contraception. Can we, uh, yeah. yeah, unpack this a bit? Yeah, well, the the church's teachings on human sexuality is pretty simple. It's just that, you know, love, marriage, sex, and babies go together and in that order. And so Mm. when we as a civilization start kind of moving things around, well, we'll have love first and sex next, and then maybe marriage, then maybe babies. And we just start flipping and flopping stuff. Civilization itself just kind of begins to crumble. And so what God has joined together, you know, life and love, we shouldn't try to separate contraception of saying, okay, I want God's gift of sexuality. It's kind of the inversion of if I were to say, look, I want to have babies with you, but I don't want any emotional entanglement. So if I could just not look at you while this is happening and I could just use you as kind of an incubator for my offspring, it's like, wow, that that's really messed up that you would want procreation without union. Contraception is just the other side of the coin saying I, I want the union, but I don't want any procreation. And obviously now the church is not saying that it's wrong to control births per se. Because people say, oh, the church just expects everybody to have 15 kids. Mm. No, the the church will never tell you how many kids to have. Now, God will, uh, but the church Mm. won't. The church doesn't put a number on it. That's between you and your spouse and your discernment. And if you have sufficiently good reasons to not get pregnant at this time, well, God has already built into the woman's body the capacity to space births through using natural family planning. And that's not the old calendar rhythm method, which our grandparents use, had a failure rate of like 90% or no, 30% failure rate, um, which I think is great because my parents tried it and it didn't work and I'm here today. But (laughs) if I want to plan how many kids I have, we use natural family planning. It's more than 99% effective. There's no side effects. In fact, you get a lot of benefits because if you're charting the woman's fertility, then you literally have in that chart in your hands, her reproductive health chart. And I know of one couple, they we're using contraception. They had a big conversion. They started using natural family planning. And the husband is looking at the wife's chart. He said, you know, this kind of looks off, you know, that this is happening at that time of the month. Let's talk to your doctor. And the doctor looked and said, yeah, yeah, your husband's right. Something does appear to be off. I want to get your thyroid examined immediately. Send them off. The thyroid specialist turned out she had a cancerous tumor growing on her thyroid. They operated on her immediately, saved the mom's life. Now, if they were simply using contraception, though, they never would have been aware of this. It could have cost her her life. But the very mm. fact that they had her reproductive health chart 
in her hands. They were charting it as a couple instead of just set it, forget it, throw her on the pillar, whatever. Um, they, they were aware of this, and God was able to use that providential moment to save the wife's life. So not only do you get to avoid all the negative consequences, breast cancer risk and stuff like that, you get the benefits of really understanding reproductive health. Wow, that, that's 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 fascinating. I didn't know. I mean, that that that's important. That ninety nine percent effective. This natural family mm-hmm. planning now by measuring that's more effective than actual artificial contraception. Um, yeah. As far as was that sound be would that yeah, be right? Yeah. yeah, it is more effective than basically every form of reversible contraception. Uh, sterilization would technically have a higher you know success rate because you're technically mutilating the human body's capacity to reproduce. Now that even that isn't a hundred percent, but it is as effective or more effective than any form of reversible contraception. Some people say, well then. What's the difference? I mean, you're basically doing the same thing, aren't you? I mean, potato, potato. I mean, what you could say to that is, okay, well, if it's the same thing, then just use natural family planning. And people <laughs> that, oh, well, well, no, but that would be very big difference. Well, if there's a big difference in the method, it's maybe an indication there could be a significant difference in the morality as well. And so here we've got to remember the problem is not that we might have a good reason to plan our next pregnancy and delay it for a little bit. That could be done for good reasons, it could be done for selfish reasons. So you could have a selfish couple using NFP and the sin there isn't NFP. The sin there is the selfishness. Or you could have a couple that has a really legitimate reason not to have another pregnancy, but then they contracept. And so their motive is good, but the means is not. And so in order for an act to be ethical, you need both the motive and the means to be ethical. And then the act is truly good. And so, yes, there could be selfish motives to using NFP and that would need to be addressed but natural family planning itself is not contraceptive. You're not engaging in a sexual act and then purging out the sexual life. A comparison has been made between anorexia and dieting, where when someone has, you know, like like bulimia, for example, someone is bulimic, they want to binge on food and then purge out the effects and maintain a slim figure. So maybe their motive is good. I want to look, you know, thin. but the means that they're using is a disorder. Um, whereas you could have a woman who has the same desire, I want to look thin, but instead of in, in kind of binging on food and purging its effects, she practices temperance and abstains from those fatty foods, achieves the same end, but uses a different means. And so with NFP versus contraception, contraception is kind of binging in the pleasure of that act, but then purging its life-giving effects Whereas with natural family planning, you practice temperance, refrain from the act, and then you can express love in other ways, you know, other than sexual. And couples find who use this, it strengthens the marriage typically. I mean, it can be difficult and challenging, but couples who use it have a divorce rate under 4%. So the church is onto something here. Yeah, wow, wow. It is, it, look, it's a huge topic because of um, the ramifications, literally. We've got life, it's, it's life or death, it's life in the sense of we have life it's open to being open to life but death is that we can be blocking life and and even and in some cases without even realizing <laughs> killing life and uh in some forms of contraception um are actually doing that you know we have to might unpack the different methods there but it is so profound what you're saying because uh it is life and lo- love come together mm-hmm. natural family planning now we both have large families i mean both you and i we've got Eight children each, and might mm-hmm. people might accuse us of saying, "Hey, is that all you do? That you know, that you know, have where babies come from?" Well, it's yeah. eight. It's not eighty. It's not. Um, you know, we, we could potentially have 
many, many more. Uh, we, we've, thanks be to God, it's a gift. It's not a right. <laughs> um, and we've got these children. And I can't imagine life without any one of my children. Um, every time they, they've come into the world, that's it. The moment they've entered in, I can't imagine life without that child. And, you know, mm -hmm. and they weren't part of my life previous. So it's amazing yeah. the effect that has. Yeah. But the power of this, uh, when people do understand it, there is a freedom, isn't there? I mean, you and I can speak about this versus the alternative. When you're close to life, um, th there is a something that, that you're holding back. And, and so, I, you know, I would argue that the real love is actually listening to not only our bodies, but each other and, and our wants and needs and, and, and my wife as well. Yeah. Um, could you speak yeah, more about the freedom side of it? Like, like there is a good, there is a really good side to this that people don't realize. It, it might be hard, but there's also, there's a freedom to it. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of dismiss natural family planning because it yeah. involves sacrifice. It does mm. make demands on you because you have to abstain for a certain amount of the month if, if you've discerned that now is not the time uh, to have kids. And for some couples, that can be a tremendous strain on them where, mm. you know, one maybe the wife wants to practice NFP, the husband's not on board. And a lot of times what NFP will do, it will kind of bring to the surface, kind of like oil and water, an incomplete development of the virtue of chastity in one or both of the spouses. Because if one kind of basically looks at, okay, my spouse should be sexually available to me whenever I want. And if that's not the case, then a great injustice is taking place here. Mm. And they can become petulant and whiny and distant and angry or even unfaithful because their needs aren't being met. Well, your spouse is not an outlet for what you think of of your sexual needs. And a lot of times when a spouse, you know, oftentimes the husband has kind of an anaphylactic reaction to the demands of natural family planning, it shows that something needs to get healed there, that God is bringing this wound up to the surface. And it's just a lot easier to blame NFP as the problem. We'll see that thing, that church thing, that's causing the problems in the marriage. It's like, mm. no, 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 this church thing is actually bringing to the surface the real problems that need to get healed, but it's a lot easier to externalize and blame shift than it is to look inside and be like, okay, maybe I do have some selfishness and some lust and maybe even some addiction going on um, that Christ wants to enter into and, and heal in that place. And so, yes, it can cause tension and strife. It is demanding for sure. But I mean, what am I going to tell my kids now? You need to obey the church's teachings on sex before marriage, but now that I'm married, I don't have to listen to the church anymore. It's like, well, virtue is more easily caught than it is taught. I mean, your mm. kids aren't always going to obey you, but will never fail to imitate you. And so if, if we want our kids to embrace sacrifice and chastity and self-control, well, we got to be willing to take up the same cross ourselves. Yeah, yeah. No, very, very interesting. Um, can I ask, it can go, uh, some people who have accepted and embraced this teaching, um, can you take it too far? Is it also the extreme the other way? So complete abstinence um, until we're ready, in, until, unless, you know, th there's an idea of if there is no intention to have a baby, there should be no, you know, can, can people take it too far where um, they just abstain for long periods of time um, and sometimes, you know, not just months, but sometimes years? Have you, have you heard of these situations? Oh, and, yeah, and, for sure. And there's an understanding of, well, then now that it's sort of eliminating uh, the, the need to come together unless yeah. you are going to have a baby. And so there's, can you mm -hmm. unpack that? Is that, can you take it too yeah. far? 
Yeah, a lot of people misunderstand the church's teachings and saying that, okay, well, the only time you can come together is if you're intending to have a baby. Mm. It's like, well, no. I mean, if that were the case, then you could only have marital relations, you know, basically at the time of ovulation. Uh, You couldn't have it while she's pregnant. And then after menopause, you could never have relations again. That's not the church's teaching on this. I mean, if that were the case, 90 something percent of married life would be spent in abstinence. The the, the Bible tells us the opposites. That St. Paul says it's not good for spouses to be apart in that way, except for some short times of prayer, you know, for the sake of sacrifice and prayer. But um, but but if you're not, it's opening up to unnecessary temptation. And so, yeah, some people could go to the opposite extreme if they're doing it. You know, some people say, well, we're going to get married and we're going to use natural family planning for the first five years because we just want to really get to know each other better. It's like, uh, well, you know what? If you really want to get to know each other better, have kids. You'll get to know each other real good, okay? And so we've got to be generous towards God and really look at our motives. Like, is this partly materialistic? Um, You know, I mean, you look at the history of civilization, how much less people had 100 years ago, 200 years ago, when they were having 6, 8, 10, 12 kids. And here we are with our two car garage and two cars and two jobs and all this stuff. Oh, but we can't have kids for five years. We need to take that to prayer. I think a little bit and, and ask, okay, is, is this me being afraid to say yes to what the church calls the supreme gift of marriage, which is children. Um, and we, we need to, I mean, it's one thing to sit in the kitchen and be like, Oh, bless us. O Lord. And he's thy gifts. Okay, great. Like he, he's our Lord in the, in the dining room with the mashed potatoes or whatever, the, but is he Lord of the bedroom? Am I actually willing to give him lordship over every aspect of my life, even something so personal as our sexuality? And until he's lord of everything, then he's just a compartmentalized God. Like you're there on Sundays, you're there in the kitchen for grace, and you're there when I really need you during like a family emergency. But other than that, just kind of stay on the shelf. I'll let you know when I need you kind of thing. That's not Christianity. Uh, That's just compartmentalizing God. And so we've got to trust God more that we, we don't need to think that he's out to get us and he's going to put us in some position that's going to make our life miserable. Maybe he thinks that you're capable of greater sacrifice and love than you even think you are. And so to have the courage to trust him with your family. And obviously that requires discernment, communication with your spouse, things like that. Uh, But that's something contraception kind of puts on the back burner because it's like, oh, well, you just throw it on the pill and you kind of forget about it for a while, get sterilized, forget about it. There's not that communication. There's not that prayer. It's just like, yeah, we're done instead of living one day at a time. Yeah, yeah, so good, so good. Um, I mean, radically, you like you want to test out how much you love someone. I mean, have a baby, and then, yeah, you see everything. Um, mm-hmm. And you really, really then are, are tested, and that's the point of love. It's it's giving of yourself, and um, it does help when you have each other, you're giving of yourself to each other first, and then when you're giving of yourself, there are children. Now you got to continue to give of yourself to, to these children and give all of your, your free time, all of your personal time now you have to be open and, and available for 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 your family so uh, very important i mean we can unpack this but contraception as a, as a concept <laughs> contraception um yeah. you know it, it really the artificial means the means that we know today i mean how old are they in human history we're talking about how far back 100 years i mean what how you know i know it was early in the 20th century uh, there was a debate well, among christian churches about whether to use it or not how, how common was contraception? Yeah, well, we need to go way back further than 100 years. I mean, we've yeah. got ancient Egyptian papyrus from like 2,000 years before oh. Christ uh, talking about how they would fumigate women's uterus with smoke 
to prevent her from bearing life, that they would oh. insert into the woman's body crocodile dung so that she wouldn't conceive. In the Middle Ages, they started with oral contraceptives that, you know, they were having, even in at the time of Christ, the Romans had some of those where they would ancient spermicides, things like that. Oral contraceptives where they're actually ingesting chemicals to uh, cause temporary sterility. And they found that some of these things would include things like lead, mercury, arsenic, and strychnine, which are probably pretty effective in preventing kids because it's probably going to kill the woman in the process. Uh, later in the Middle Ages, uh, women would wear amulets around their neck, like these superstitious amulets to kind of ward off pregnancy. Um, some of them would in actually include uh, the liver of a cat or the earwax of a mule that a woman would wear around her neck. Now, personally, I think that'd be a pretty effective deterrent against intimacy because if you're wearing yeah. a cat liver, you know, there's no fireworks tonight, honey. Uh, <laughs> but, so, but then, you know, they moved on in the 1930s. If you were to read like a typical like Cosmo kind of magazine for women, they actually recommended that women insert into their bodies uh, the equivalent of Lysol, household cleaners into the woman's reproductive system wow. to make it temporarily sterile. And people are like, oh, that's so barbaric. Well, they, read the ingredients of today's spermicide. It's household cleaners that they're yeah. still putting into the body, but they just make it look a little bit differently. Laundry detergent, same stuff in modern spermicides. Wow. So, you know, in the 50s and stuff, you had people like Margaret Sanger, the racist, uh, who kind of want to kind of wipe out black people. Uh, she decided, well, what if we could make an oral contraceptive pill? So she teamed up with a Gregory Pincus, another a doctor, Dr. John Rock. Um, they come up with this thing and they tested the male and female birth control pills on poor people in the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. Um, the men they tested on, some of the men had a slight shrinkage in their testes. So they're like, no pill for me, no thanks. Mm -hmm. They tested the female pill uh, and three of the women died. So they just adjusted the dosage and kept testing on the women. And so even today, all the contraceptives we have for women, we basically have for men. The implants, the injections, uh, they, have they have gels they can use. They have uh, all kinds of stuff that they've got for men. Birth control pills for men, you name it, they've got it. Pharmaceutical companies have said, though, they don't really want to bring this to market for a couple of reasons. One is because men aren't likely to take it. Well, you're the woman mm. with the uterus. You, know, you didn't take the drugs. And then secondly, they've said men tend to be a lot more aggressive in terms of litigation so that when we start getting the breast cancer and things like that, we'll be much more aggressive in suing the pharmaceutical companies. And that's kind of intimidating for the shareholders who might invest in these corporations. So they said, as for now, let's just give it to the women, it tends to be a lot safer, pay them off in court afterwards. And so they invented the pill, tested it, and they found that when women went on the pill, they no longer had a period. And they thought, okay, well, women aren't going to like that because it won't feel natural. So mm. here's an idea. When we're giving the girl the pill, it goes in her digestive system, dissolves, enters her circulatory system. The synthetic sex hormones go to the pituitary gland in her brain and tell her you're pregnant. And so the pituitary gland sends signals to the ovaries to suppress ovulation because you don't need to ovulate if you're pregnant. But as a result, you're not going to menstruate either if you're pregnant. So the periods weren't happening. So they said, I know what to do. Let's give the women the pill for three weeks or so. And then for the rest of the pack, just give her placebo blank or sugar pills. So her brain will think she's actually going through a withdrawal bleed. In other words, she's withdrawing from pregnancy hormones. She'll, she'll bleed for a week, which is typically the equivalent of a, you know, a miscarriage, her brain thinks, mm -hmm. and then start up the next pack of pills. She's back on the pregnancy hormones. 
So if you're on the pill, your body actually thinks you're pregnant about a dozen times a year when you're not, but you can get pregnant on the pill. In fact, the, the formulations of the pill today let women ovulate up to 60% of their cycles, but then when they do ovulate and you do become pregnant, the pill will also thin out the inside of her uterus called her endometrium. So the baby tries to attach in the uterine wall, it's to thin to offer the nourishment and the baby's aborted when he's about a week old before the woman even knows that she's pregnant. And this is in the patient insert packet on every birth control pill, but women don't read the fine print. They think it's a contraceptive mm -hmm. when it can actually act as an abortifacient. And so this gives you just the tip of the iceberg as to how much information women are not getting on contraceptives. Mm -hmm. I, I say, hey, give them all the information. Tell the high school students about it, college mm -hmm. students, because believe me, if people knew as much information as they should, those companies would go bankrupt overnight. Wow. Wow. That's, I mean, you just so many truth bombs there. I mean, we have to encourage everyone to go back and investigate further and research you because that's uh, that's alarming, you know, all that, all what you just said there. Um, but you know, how many people would have would have known that that it's, it's abortifacient? And, and and just speaking on, I mean, the topic of abortion. How many? And I know among Christian churches, you know, we were very much united, um, you know, on contraception up until what is it, the twenties or thirties, uh, and then mm -hmm. bit by bit, more and more churches started to accept contraception. Now, yeah, uh, every every Christian church, every Christian denomination for one thousand nine hundred and thirty years. All the Protestant reformers, Calvin, Zwingli, Luther, Hobbes, all of them were very clear that contraception is evil. I mean, they speak out more firmly against it than any bishop you'll find in the Catholic Church today. Yeah. I mean, Luther, these guys were completely against it. In the 1930, uh, the Anglican Church at this Lambeth conference said, well, it could be used sometimes in extreme circumstances in mm. some marriages. And after that, the Protestants actually said no. They said, well, this is crazy. You don't can't, the Baptists were against it. Everybody spoke out about against the Anglicans. But then give it another decade or so, and basically everybody caved in except for the Catholic Church. What's interesting, from the 30s to the 60s, um, so we've got mm -hmm. then, um, well, Humane Vitae, what year was that? Uh, is that um, written? 1968. So the pressure on Pope St. Uh, Paul VI, uh, you know, in writing that, and there was an expectation that even among Catholics, he was going to allow contraception. And when the when the document comes out, it's just this huge, uh, you know, <laughs> moment. Like, what? He, he's not he's not allowing it? What? what? And it's a very yeah. prophetic document because it really, um, the Catholics really stood there um, and to, on the side of truth, you know. They didn't want to just cave in what people wanted. What is truth for, for all of us? And and the idea that what the Pope then uh, prophesied, you know, there would be an increase of abortion. Well, and people thinking that doesn't make sense. Contraception will minimize abortion. But the opposite's happened since then. Um, increase of divorce. And people think, hang on, that's crazy too. That should help people be intimate and all that. But no, the, the, the divorce rate's gone through the roof. Um, I mean, increase of Separate, uh, breaking up of families as well, and 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 the list goes on. Very prophetic in what he predicted back in the sixties. Here we are now in two thousand and twenty-two, and wow, everything he said has come come to light and, and been true. But also, there's other yeah. things we're dealing with now that maybe he wasn't even uh, predicting. But uh, can we talk into that? Um, so the pro-life idea of I mean abortion. Uh, recently, Roe v. Wade. Um, mm -hmm. Never thought in a million years I would have seen that, and praise be to God, overturned. 
so many people fighting 49 years uh, for that. Um, but the idea of the world as a whole, not understanding, you know, the, I guess the evils of abortion and, and, and the idea. Can you, the, can you talk into the idea of if contraception, what was Pope uh, Paul VI talking about? If you, if you uh, in, include contraception, you will increase abortion. What is he talking about? Because it was yeah, true. People, yeah, people are like, oh, no, no, no. The more contraception you give out, the abortion rate will go down. Yeah. Okay, let's look at the number of abortions in 1968 and look at the number of abortions in 2022. Has that happened? No, the complete opposite has happened. And it happens everywhere the more you distribute contraception because it's trying to like put out a fire by throwing lighter fluid on it. And the reason I say that is because the more people using contraception you have, the more people you'll have having intercourse who don't expect to have a baby. And so if you're having intercourse and your will is already set against life, and then life happens anyway. Well, if you know pregnancy is treated like a disease, then contraception is like the vaccine. And if that doesn't work out, then abortion must be the cure. And it's this whole mm -hmm. idea mm -hmm. of pregnancy is like this disease we have to protect ourselves against. And you're going to try to protect it with contraception. And if that falls through, well, then abortion becomes the safety net. And so Planned Parenthood, who's the biggest abortion provider in America, has actually said the majority of abortions, more majority of unplanned pregnancies that lead to abortion are not caused by the failure to use contraception, but by the failure of contraception. This is the biggest abortion provider saying the majority of unplanned pregnancies that lead to abortion are caused by contraceptive failure, not by the failure to use contraceptive. Wow. And so when you've got this, these, this, this whole civilization of people close to the gift of life and then life happens, it's mm -hmm. like, okay, we need a backup. We didn't plan on this. This was not expected. Right. It's like, well, you were kind of doing the thing that makes human life. How was this not expected? Because mm -hmm. of contraception. And so it, because of contraception, abortion is seen as a necessity backup plan. And so, yeah, one thing is simply led to the other. And it's a purely utopian idea to think that if you just hand out enough contraceptives, the pregnancy rate is going to go down. We've never seen that in sex education here in America or anywhere else in the world. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Wow. Well, I am pleased to learn that more and more people are waking up to the, um, the, the problem of abortion, uh, especially in the States. I mean, the pro-life movement has been very strong. Uh, um, and and what, I mean, what would you say? People are now realizing, I mean, it's just the basic truth of this child is a child. <laughs> in a, and, and sometimes the big debate of when when in the pregnancy does the um does the fetus become a child i mean this this whole debate i mean once people realize it is a child from officially um uh, natural um conception so can mm -hmm. we can we just i guess define when does human life begin here on this podcast <laughs> yeah well human life begins at conception because if yeah. it's not a human life and it's alive well then what type of being is that and people say, well, it's my body, my choice. Okay, that's fine. Your body, your choice. But that's not your body growing in you. That's somebody mm. else's body. You only have one body. Okay, that's, that's a different body. Could be a completely different sex growing inside of you. And people think, oh, well, what about these severe cases of, of rape and incest and this and that? A friend of mine, Lila Rose, who does a lot of wonderful pro-life work. Yeah. I saw her on a media interview and she's pretty blunt. And she said, look, uh, she said, abortion does not unrape a woman. And it was mm. like, whoa. 
And uh, wow. what she was getting across is a lot of times women who've been through both of those often say that the abortion took longer to heal from than the sexual abuse did because the sexual abuse is a crime against the woman, but then the, the child does not deserve the death penalty because of the crime his father committed. And obviously these are very painful situations, but I remember talking to a man once, he said, look, like, I don't believe in abortion, but I'm not gonna tell somebody that they can't have an abortion. And I'm like, well, that's like telling somebody like, I don't believe in child abuse, but I'm not gonna take away somebody else's ability to abuse their child. It's like, pick a lane. Does this human being deserve dignity and to be treated with love or not. Uh, and so as science has moved along, the pro-choice position has become more and more difficult to hold on to because it's like, okay, we've got 4D ultrasounds of children who literally look like they're laughing at something in the wombs yeah. of their mothers. And we've got this fetal heartbeat being detected like a couple of weeks after conception before she even knows she's pregnant, the baby's heart is beating. It's like, okay, abortion just relies on women not knowing the facts. That's why I don't want the ultrasounds. Don't let the woman see that stuff because if she sees it, she'll get all attached and realize that's a human life with fingers and toes. Mm -hmm. Don't let her see that. Just tell her it's a blob of tissue. We'll have a procedure. Life will go on as normal. But ask any woman who's been through that. Life does not go on as normal afterward. And so we need to do a good job of caring for these women during these difficult times of unexpected pregnancies and then caring for them afterwards. Instead of being like, oh, phew, baby's born, on to the next one. It's like, no, she needs follow-up care. She needs maybe yeah. diapers. She needs a daycare support. Like whatever it is, we need to make sure that we're pro-life, not simply before birth, but afterwards as well. Yeah, very true, very true. Um, I remember that Lila Rose, that she did a great job, uh, especially on the um, the Dr. Phil show there, and we all saw. And and I remember, uh, you know, seeing that moment in the in that in that show where he couldn't define when life began, and and sort of uh, the idea of uh, we understood for many all my life. I thought I thought it was pretty clear. Science was pretty clear that contraception. I'm sorry, that the conception was the beginning of life. Um, but why is it up for debate these days? I mean, what's going on? Is, is the is the science world, the medical world? trying to change this? What, what What is going on here? Well, I don't think it's so much that they're trying to change it because they wouldn't even argue that, you know, a baby two weeks before delivery is not a human being. Well, yeah, it's a human being, but we've got the right to terminate that pregnancy. And so it's not even a matter for them as to when life begins. I don't think they care. Mm -hmm. I think the question is like, who's got the right over that life? Yeah. That's the issue. Because I mean, you up here in the states, and was it in Montana? They actually uh, they just put a, a, a some law up for a vote that just got shot down, where that would have protected the life of a of child that was born to a failed abortion. And so, if the baby's viable and could live, and the abortion fails, they actually struck down a law that would have guaranteed that the baby could at least have been protected after delivery. And the voters said, no, we shouldn't have to protect the baby after the baby's born, after a botched abortion. Who's going to argue that it's not a human life? Uh, I mean, they know it's a human life, but I think that we've gone so far as a culture to not respecting human life that we don't even care what it is or when it begins. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So profound. So much truth here that, uh, look, we're in a world screaming for love, screaming for um, acceptance, uh, rediscovering its identity. I mean, many of us are having identity issues today and um, not not knowing what a family is, or or, or uh, all these all these situations, and it all stems right back from this idea of. Uh, I mean, I would say I mean, once once contraception sort of crept in. From what reason? It's the idea of 
capturing pleasure over and over again uh, without any any sort of uh, responsibility afterwards and and look at the ramifications uh, mm-hmm. Saint John uh, Saint uh, Paul the sixth he also uh, talked about an increase of divorce can you speak to that from that whole document on humana vitae I mean yeah. how did that happen you know, one of the tie-ins is an increase in infidelity because one of the things that he predicted there, it's chapter 17 of Humana Vitae. If anyone wants mm. to look up these predictions, these prophetic utterances, I mean, it's it's amazing how spot on he was. Yeah. But he just talked about how, how wide the, the path is going to become for conjugal infidelity because one of the things that used to prevent a person from being unfaithful is the possibility of pregnancy, that you could impregnate the mistress. But now that you can actually have an affair without the risk of pregnancy, some people would be more likely to engage in that. And so that's precisely what we've seen. And obviously that's going to be detrimental in a major way to any marriage. Um, but another thing, I was reading a secular uh, sociological journal that was talking about the hookup culture in university campuses. And they kind of lay out the problem. And then at the end, they kind of postulate, okay, where did all this promiscuity come from? And one of the things they said was one of the major factors was contraception causing promiscuity. And what they explained is, if you look at any species, whichever sex has the longer reproductive rate tends to be more choosy about sexual partners. And what they meant by that is within human beings, women have a longer reproductive rate. It takes men all of five minutes to reproduce. Whereas for a woman, that's a big commitment. I mean, that's not just five minutes, that's nine months of gestation, a year of lactation. I mean, a lifetime of rearing this child potentially to a guy who might not even text her the morning afterwards. And so because the woman's reproductive rate is so much longer than the man, she stands to potentially lose a lot more from a poor reproductive choice. If she's not making a smart mating decision, she could really be left, you know, paying a major price. And so women historically have been much more selective with who they go to bed with. But what contraception did was give women the reproductive rates of men. And all of a sudden you had women who could finally engage in intercourse like men could without Mm. thinking, oh, well, who cares? I can't get pregnant. And then they began lowering how choosy they were in spouses, and it just just became the hookup culture, all made possible because of contraception. Because to say, I want to sleep with you is one thing, but I want to have a baby with you is a completely different matter. And so once we're taking away the potential for life and you simply have the pleasure that's at your disposal, it's going to do nothing but spawn more promiscuity, which obviously isn't going to contribute well to the stability of marriages in the future. Wow, uh, so much. And this, uh, uh, I mean, you know, the idea, you talk about hookup culture and then this whole like, concept and people are still wondering, you know, I remember you know, we used to say, why do I need a, a certificate, a marriage certificate to prove my love with someone? And, and now where people are moving in together before marriage and, 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 and so the idea of marriage becomes less and less important. Um, and you said earlier at the start of this uh, podcast, the order, you know, there's an order. We started picking and choosing which order to do things. And marriage is a, a key component. What's the significance then? Why is it so important to be married before you come together uh, in the marital act, in the in, yeah. in sexual? Well, well, two thoughts. One is people say, oh, marriage is just a piece of paper. It's like, well, okay, well, people who get married, their children typically do better in school. They're less likely to drop out, less likely to get involved in crime, do drugs, commit suicide, be depressed. Typically, married couples are happier. They have a longer life expectancy, less likely to um, become ill from certain diseases. They're also, you know, have a, a, a higher family income. I mean, on and on and on. So like, 
if marriage is just a piece of paper, like that's an awesome piece of paper. Like yeah. I want that paper. <laughs> like if a paper is going to deliver all that stuff, give me the paper. It, yeah. It's not just a piece of paper. Um, this is the institution that human civilization is built upon. Mm. And the reason why you should save that gift of sexuality for marriage, even if you've made mistakes in the past, is because sex is saying something with your body. It, sex is basically saying, I give myself completely to you. I'm all yours. But if they're not married, that embrace is a lie. It's a lie in the language of the body. And so the total gift of the body, sex, should correspond with the total gift of the person within marriage. And so when you get married and you leave the church and you make those promises, my love is free, total, faithful, life-giving, then you go to your honeymoon and then you consummate the vows, not with just your words, but with your body. I give my body to you freely. I'm not coercing you, manipulating you. I'm giving myself to you totally. I hold back nothing from you, not even my fatherhood. I'm giving myself to you faithfully in a way that's ordered towards procreation and the giving of life. And so it's the wedding vows made flesh. And so sex isn't just something because I just want to feel close to a person. You know, sex is expressing a truth of the total gift of the person, which is marriage. And it pays off too, because I mean, couples who wait, the couples who wait longest to begin having sex, in particular, those who waited until marriage, study after study shows, they have better communication in marriage, more stable relationships in marriage. They're happier with their sex lives. The benefits go on and off. In fact, the, the least sexually satisfied people in the world are single people. I mean, the, look at the, I mean, one study after the other, they all show the exact same thing. And that's why the portrayal by the media of human sexuality has virtually no relationship with the actual truth. Yeah. Well, so true. That's so true. Um, it, it really isn't a long time. I mean, what's going on? So 1930s till now, a lot's happened. Um, I'm just curious. I'm thinking now um, of, you know, what you're talking about. I mean, the feminist movement that over the last hundred years we've seen, and, and now interesting in recent times, that's now under attack because of where we are with, with this. We don't know what a woman is, um, uh, unfortunately for some people. But the feminist movement that fought for women's rights for so long, you know, and may have started, started out as something, a very worthy cause because, you know, unfortunately, uh, men were mistreating women for so long. But could you speak to that? I mean, do we know a bit of history here? I mean, is contraception in some way, shape or form linked in somehow to this? I'm just wondering. It's just something I'm I'm curious about. Oh, there, there, there's no doubt at all. I mean, you read the early feminist writers, I mean, Simone de Beauvoir, Judith Butler, more, more recently, Margaret Sanger. You know, many of the feminists talked about what was really holding them back was their fertility. And if we could just get rid of that, then we could be equal to men and at last have this utopian life where women aren't you know, relegated to domestic slavery. And so there's a very close connection between contraception and second wave feminism. First wave feminists you know, weren't so much into this issue. I mean, they were looking more to like basic rights of women to vote and own property and things that they obviously should, you know, of throwing off these patriarchal burdens that really were not just. But then with more second wave feminism came looking at domestic life as really a drudgery, as a domestic slavery. And how do we find equality with men where well, we need to become like men? And so contraception was this false promise really based on a kind of a, a, Marxist, a Marxist dialectic of human sexuality. And, you know, Marxism's idea was that history is, this, is like a class struggle 
you know, the mm. proletariat versus the bourgeoisie. And because of this class struggle, we need to eliminate class distinctions. And then you're going to have, you know, then, then we're going to have like kind of this utopia. So we got to get rid of the distinctions of the classes to have freedom. Now, the mark, the feminists kind of jumped on that framework of Marxism of saying, okay, the same thing is going on in here. You know, you've got the men over the women. And so mm -hmm. if we can eliminate sexual distinctions, then we're going to have freedom. But this looks at our sexuality through this dialectic lens of like, these are opposites. These are in contrast to each other. These are in competition to each other. And so we have to solve the problem of inequality by eliminating sexual distinctions. And obviously contraception has done that on a biological level and now gender theory has done it more on a psychological level. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. I mean, it's a, it, it's a confusing time now because um, I mean, w the idea of, of, you know, we wanting to, we are different, male and female, God created us, we are different, we are complementary, but we're trying to be as, as, as same as possible. And it's almost like, um, I don't know if, if if someone who's really the second wave of feminism pushing for the rights pretty much to be not celebrating who they are as a, as, as a woman, which is which is quite beautiful and and yeah. wanting to be like a man in many ways. And it's yeah. like uh, that's sort of and that's been going for decades, right? And you I don't know, that's undermining your whole cause here because you're trying to say that uh, I want to be equal to this other other gender. but uh, the problem is, you're refusing at the same time to admit the beauty and the treasures of your own, what you have. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, the core lie that you need to some be somehow masculinized in order to be powerful. And it's right. like, you see this in Hollywood. I mean, you look like the Marvel comic book type movies yeah. that if they want to insert a female character into a superhero role, they basically just give her a male role in a female costume. And so, you know, she's in her little leotard or whatever, and she's punching tanks and blowing up buildings. Like, look, I can be powerful too. And it's almost like, really? Like, that's as good as you could come up with for, you know, the uniqueness of the feminine genius. You're just masculinizing her to make her powerful. It's just a real lack of creativity of the fact that women were not created to do everything a man can do. They were created to do everything a man cannot do. And I remember <laughs> Dr. Alice von Hildebrand said to me once, she said, yes, uh, women have men. She said, men have power in what they do, but women have power in who they are. And so there's a rich insight in that, that it's a, a real devilish lie to make women think that they need to be guys in order to be fully human. Um, I think that's the devil's strategy to keep them from being the women that God has created them to be. And I'm not saying, okay, well, then it's, barefoot pregnant in the kitchen for you um no like everyone's calling is unique and we shouldn't mm. look down upon the domestic life because the women are the ones who build up all of culture and civilization by raising families in that way but like i know a woman i had lunch with his nun she's a nun she's a doctor she's a surgeon and she's a colonel in the united states army wow. and I, I was like wow did you not feel like being an astronaut like yeah <laughs> for the rest of us but she was not choosing these things instead of motherhood. She was mothering through these things. And wow. so it's not about sticking women to some gender stereotypical box, but giving them womanhood as a firm foundation, and they can bloom from that to be whatever God calls them to be. Wow, beautiful, beautiful. So we're covering a lot of ground here, Jason. I know we're going from one thing, but it all is stemming. It's <laughs> interesting, this link to contraception. Um, but uh, 
Uh, moving on, where we are today, and, and today, I mean, you, you're speaking to high schools, uh, you're into high schools, more and more um, young people, that they, they, and for the most part, can you, I mean, maybe speak to, I mean, across your career, you've spoken to, you know, millions of, of, of teenagers. The message that you bring, chastity, purity, um, and all these life issues that you talk about, how has that been received as, as a whole, I mean, in general? Oh, I mean, people would think I have some difficult job of like trying to sell chastity to high school and college kids, but it's yeah. like easiest sell, I think, in the world because their their hearts are made for love, their minds are made for the truth, and chastity offers them both. And granted, when they come into the assembly halls and the gyms, like, oh, here we go, stupid chastity sex talk. But, <laughs> you know, you break through that quick enough and you realize, okay, I'm not wagging a finger and shaming and judging them. Mm. I'm really asking, like, what is it you really want when it comes to relationships? And teaching them the distinction between loving and using is something they want to know. I mean, I told the kids at a high school in New York, hey, if you guys need to hang out and talk afterwards, I'll be here to listen. And the kids formed a line seven hours long and they just came out and they would just pour their hearts out of the addiction and the molestation, the cutting, the abortion, the broken families. And uh, they're just going through a lot of stuff and they really want someone to step into their life and challenge them, not judge them, but just love them and, and call them to this high standard because they're not satisfied with this right. shallow hookup culture. It never met their needs. And so if someone comes in and say, hey, it doesn't have to be like that. And even if you made mistakes in the past, it's okay. Because like, look, your value, especially I try to tell the girls, like your value does not come from your virginity, okay? Your sexuality has value because of you. So you mm -hmm. are the gift to give. And even if you've lost your virginity, you still have yourself. You're the gift to be given. And so to help renew that sense of worth, regardless of the past, that everybody can start over. Yeah, beautiful. Be love it. I mean, I can I can speak firsthand when when we had you over um, down under and you spoke and we we saw instant, instant um, life change, lives change instantly. People um, just transformed. And, and yeah, and to, to, till today, hearing people's story, they point back to a talk they've heard from you and that's changed their life. And uh, praise be to God. So God bless you with what you're doing. Um, yeah, your your work, Chastity Project. Can you um, maybe let people know how people can learn more about what you do? Yeah, you just go to the website, chastity.com. And from there, you can connect with our podcast, which is Lust is Boring. We've got about 80 different episodes you can click on, having anything to do from gender to birth control to starting over to vocations, you name it, parenting, pornography, it's all there. Uh, you can also connect with our social media channels, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, everything at chastity.com. And uh, so whether you're a teen, parent, single person, just go there. We've got resources, books, seminars, um, just explaining the good news about God's plan for human sexuality. Love it. I'm holding up so many books here. I mean, there's, I, I've, I think it's over a dozen here. I mean, the resources that you give out, I can't even hold them. Uh, there's still more yeah. for parents, theology body in an hour, forged. I mean, the, the list goes on. You even got one beautiful one on prayer, uh, pure faith. You can uh, Purity 365, it's another one. Um, St. John Paul the Great, that's a that's a really popular one. That's a really good one. If You Really Love Me, I Had. Uh, How to Find Your Soulmate, um, that's a beautiful one. Theology of Her Body, His Body, That's and that program with Ascension, um, this is a fantastic theology body for uh, teens. That's a, that's another brilliant one. Um, and, and there's the more that I haven't even covered here. <laughs> yeah, the new one we're coming out with in about a month is on gender. It's called okay. Male, Female Other, a Catholic, a Catholic Guide to Understanding Gender. And so it's kind of a 
Q&A kind of style thing to help people to understand, okay, what is the church's response to this with clarity mm-hmm. and with charity? So that's the new one we're coming out with gender in about a month. But um, I don't know, Charbel, you don't know anyone in Australia who makes those books available to people in your country, do you? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Greatly. Well, yes, all these uh, that are not only available in chastity.com, but you're going to go to perusiamedia.com. And so we have all this available now, the physical books. Looking forward to seeing this new one on gender um as well and 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 i think one on i mean i i think there's a book there on contraception <laughs> that mm-hmm. uh that that should be brewing um i yeah. love I never forget that talk uh, you gave on green sex mm-hmm. um and so we're green in every other aspect of our life uh when it, but when it comes to humanity when it comes to pro-life issues when it comes to sex the most intimate thing we can do with another human being we're not green <laughs> why yeah. are we not green there so I, I love that and let's be natural in every sense of the word <laughs> Oh, yeah. There's people like, oh, sex is natural. Sex is natural. It's like, okay, yeah, but watching it is not natural. And in fact, the people who clamor the most about how natural sex are probably the least likely people to actually be having natural yes. sex. If you've got yes. a laptop or a contraceptive or whatever. But yeah, sex is natural. Let's keep it that way. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Um, uh, yeah. So again, perusiamedia.com, go there. Articles as well. You've got free articles, free resources. Uh, even you've got lots of MP3s that are that that are available online. Um, uh, programs you've been involved in multiple programs. I mean, uh, the list goes on. Uh, so we'll look out. When when do you think this new book on uh, gender will be uh, coming out? I sent it the typesetter yesterday. She just emailed me at the start of the show. I'll have it back in a week, and then it's off for the printer. Uh, and so we'll probably have it late December, uh, mid mid December for pre order, and then it should come out late December, early January. Excellent. We'll look forward to that. We'll pray for that. Um, and uh, and the openness to getting you back down under uh, Australia. You make say it the word, be happy to come. All right. We'll still do it. We'll make that happen. Uh, please, God. Thank you very much for joining us, Jason. Um, uh, always, always learn something new when I'm with you and always an inspired. So thank you very much what you do. Well, thank you for having me on. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for watching us. Another Perusia podcast. Please visit uh, the chastity.com and pray for this, this man's ministry. He's been around for a few decades now doing this, and, and it's, it's having a huge impact on our culture, which in a positive way. So please uh, do that. Pray for him. Pray for us at Perusia Media. And until next time, have a blessed week. God bless. Mm-hmm.